Mike, joined by Carrie and Chris, as usual, and another special guest. We hit you in back-to-back episodes with special guests. Last two, you got to hear from Matt Waldman, you know, uh, uh, an OG in the fantasy world. So we encourage you to go back and listen to those. Uh, but but this week, uh, we have another special guest who I know uh, you're going to enjoy and you're going to get a lot from. But before I introduce him, let me just, just touch base with the fellas real quick. Uh, start with Chris. Chris, how you doing, Matt? I'm good, man. Good. Um, just, uh, you know, another wild week in the, the world of the Ravens and just the world in general. But um, I'm ready to get the ball rolling here with you guys. Yeah, a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about on the Ravens front, on the world front. Just, you know, no, 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 no lack of things to talk about. Kerry, how you been? Man? Yeah, man, I'm good, man. Kind of in the same um, kind of frame of mind. I mean, we. We just talked a week ago, and in this week's time, we got a, a, a month worth of topics to talk about. So we we got to figure out a way to try to get them all in before the season starts. Yeah, yeah, we do. And we, we're back. You know, we took that time off, but we're back, and we're going to try to get pies out, you know, somewhat regularly. And so we'll, we'll have an opportunity to talk about all these things. But with no further ado, let me introduce our special guest. Uh, he's a young man who I stumbled across uh, on Twitter, of all places. Now you're going to ask yourself, why was this guy looking at Anne Arundel County, Maryland high school rushing records? Don't worry about that. But I was looking at that <laughs> and I came across the Nard's name. So this guy, Anne Arundel County uh, football high school rushing record. I think that's still right, Denard, right? Still career record? Um, I had the career touchdown record okay. for the county and was second in the state when I left. And then I had uh, basketball uh, second in the state. And then so did both sports. So there you go. Right there. You you know that this guy was high level football athlete, high level basketball athlete, uh, went on to James Madison, continued to play there, has coached. He's Denard Melton at Denard 13 on Twitter. Denard, thanks for joining us. What's going on? I much appreciate it. Thank you for having me on tonight. Um, yeah, it, it's been just like the other guy said. It's just been a crazy week, um, crazy two weeks. So just interested to hear what everybody has to say, and you know, give my little two cents. Well, we're gonna tee you up. We sent you a special <laughs> guest. We're gonna start with you. We normally do this like round the table style. You know, we touch on everybody and let them kind of give their thoughts on the topic. But we're gonna start off with you, and we're gonna go back a little bit. There's some 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 very important things happening in in the country right now. We we want to get to those. We don't want to give those uh, you know short shrift or anything. But just chronologically, we're gonna work back uh, to the Ravens releasing Earl Thomas, and you know since that release uh, has taken place. We've heard uh, a lot of things that have come out about that in terms of not just the fight, right, with Chuck Clark at practice, not just Earl posting the video of the play that he busted the coverage on, but things going back to last year that we, none of us really heard about, I don't think, uh, missing meetings, being late for meetings, getting into other things, yeah, other, other situations with teammates. So a whole laundry list of things, right, going on around Earl ultimately it leads to the team releasing him. Uh, when you have a guy who you just signed the year before to the kind of contract they signed him for to make that kind of move tells you a lot. Um, 
So now, Denar, what do you think? Let's hear from you. What, what, what do you think about this move, and, and what did you think when you when you initially heard it? I I wasn't surprised that it it went down the way it did. Um, if you if you think about earlier in the season, you had two incidents within a week that leaked out. Not even leaked out. Well, you had the Brian you had the Brandon Williams incident that him and Earl went at it. We heard that in the news. But then you had the Earl just give up on the Chubb thing, on the Chubb run. So you knew kind of there were, that was an issue. That was going to be an issue for the rest of the year. So when you watch games and, and when you're a coach, you notice things. And don't get me wrong, Earl is a good player. But we all know Earl ain't the same person he is. And in particular, coming off a leg injury and not really having spent a lot of time with the Ravens. So he had a massive learning curve. And they all say he got better during the middle of the year. I agree with that. But we also know Wink is very good at hiding people. (laughs) Very good at hiding people. (laughs) And as the season went on, you saw Earl in two different spots a lot. And that was close to the line of scrimmage and short middle of the field. You can hide people and they can make plays and, and, and everybody be like, wow, Earl's doing this. And he's not getting targeted. Well, there's two things when it comes to the old targeted thing. One is when you're the Ravens and you blitz a heck of a lot. And as a defensive coordinator, I hope and pray you throw it in the middle of the field. I am praying for you to throw it in the middle of the field on a blitz because something stupid is going to happen. (laughs) So (laughs) if you're smart and you know the Ravens, they're going to come after you. Where do all the plays go? To the outside. They're quick hitters. They're from the slot. They're quick outs. They're fade routes. And when... We did see Earl target it. Yes, he knocked down some plays. But we all remember the first play in Miami. If they had a real quarterback, that's six. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the same thing happened in the playoff game. Now, everybody wants to blame Marvin, uh, Marlon Humphrey and even Chuck Clark to safety. But if I'm third and ten, and I'm supposed to have the best free safety in the league. Why is he not in the middle of the field? Sitting there at 10 yards deep, taking away everything. Even on the double move. So I'm not surprised that this mm-hmm. went down the way it did. And even if you want to go even further, the Derrick Henry touchdown pass. You can tell. If you really watch that, you can tell Chuck is pissed off because they talked about it all week. Every defensive coordinator does this. On Thursdays, you have trick play sessions. It goes about six or seven minutes, depending on the coach. And if you've got a good coach, they'll sprinkle it in during the, your 25-place script that you do getting ready for the game that week. So that conversation had happened because because Tennessee 
and you knew the offensive coordinator who was from Green Bay, if I'm correct on that, he's done that before. So they had scouted that. And the fact that play happened, and you can see kind of Chuck Clark kind of like pissed off about it because Earl wasn't where he was supposed to be. So I'm not surprised that it happened. <laughs> and that became, that, that became a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Earl not being where he was supposed to be, guys on the defense not being able to trust Earl. And when you saw the way that Chuck reacted, you talked about that play, but how he reacted in training camp, right, to yes. that coverage, that's not – the reaction of somebody where this is something that just happened one or two times. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right? yeah. That's, that boiled you, over. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't fly off like that unless this has been like a repeated thing. And you know that the reason it keeps happening is because the person ain't handling their business, right? Not coming to meetings, not coming to walkthroughs, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know that's why it's happening. Oh, so you, especially with somebody with the, with the temperament that, that Chuck Clark has because he doesn't come off as a fiery guy like that. No. And especially the guy like like you said, Chuck, who's got that kind of that experience. Like everyone kind of looks at Chuck. Like he knows mm-hmm. the defense inside and out. Yeah. Like if you one step out of place, he knows you were one step out of place. Yep. <laughs> so for him to not only throw his helmet down, but the rage and anger <laughs> because he had went to the coaches. He's already went there. He went to Wink. He went to John Harbaugh. And said, listen, if we want to be great this year, we can't have this dude. Chuck was the first one. In my hearts of hearts, Chuck was the first one. And they kind of were like, okay, Chuck, we hear you. Let's see how, you know, initial training camp go. See if we get a different Chuck. I mean, a different Earl. And they, you heard it. They find him probably every day. He showed up late to stuff every day. And... and that was it. That simple break, because it wasn't like it was a complex coverage. It was two by two going to a three by one. And in most any time we play this in college, too, when you go two by two and you go to three to one, most times or not is backside man coverage. With help from the safety, either under or over top, depending on how you're playing the coverage. So you got zone front side. So the fact that they knew it was coming because they obviously had talked about it in meetings that day. Tight end went in motion. And you've got literally an over route, which for years as Ravens fans, we've seen that completed because the safety won't get there. (laughs) 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 It's like the one play, like, they rush four, and we all know what we're talking about. The quarterback passes that one good time. You're like, here comes that over route, and he drops it right over the linebacker. And what just happened? So they had fixed that problem. And who will get blamed for that? The safety. I mean, excuse me, the linebacker. The linebacker, like, exactly. Yeah, they're like, well, he should have ran with the linebacker. No. You know I'm a CJ Truth. Yep, yeah, exactly. don't do it. Don't exactly. do it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he, he was always getting the blame. Yeah. Right. And and that's the fourth and nine against Cincinnati. Yeah. Same coverage. They decided to fix it. 
because they were putting too much pressure on the safety to come from depth, from, excuse me, come from the line of scrimmage. So as soon as the tight end went in motion, you saw that Earl was moving back that way. He took like two steps and then he came on a blitz. But the Ravens don't blitz unless they got stunts going. And it's very rare. They just send a strong safety up the side without a twist of some sort. Yeah, and that was and that was the report. I mean, there there was those reports that in training camp, he was basically just blitzing on like every play. And they're like, well, what are you doing? We got we got a coverage here or, we got, or there's a check and there's an adjustment. What, what, what are you doing? And it was like he was just doing his own thing. Uh, and Carrie, let me let me come to you on this next, Carrie, uh, and then we'll then we'll we'll get Chris's take on it too. So uh, you have all of this stuff going on, and like Dinar said, and this was the part that really hit home for me. You can you can understand, and we've seen it in other other situations where it's the the coach versus the player. Right. The coach is coming out and saying, hey, you know, this player is not doing this. This player is not doing that, whatever. But this sounded like the players against the player. This sounded like other players on the team saying, nah, this, this ain't going to work with this dude anymore. What, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? Gary? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it sounded like. I mean, when we first got the news of the fight, we debated for what, a better part of two days what was going to happen here. But, you know, a lot of us were saying, you know, without being privy to all that was going on, okay, well, guys get out of, you know, guys get upset and, you know, cooler heads will prevail. They sent them home, you know, maybe let them stay home for a day. You know, this will blow over. But the one detail that we got on Monday, to me, clear all of this up. I mean, they could have just led with this and we would have known exactly how this was going to go. He told the team that he was late for a meeting because he had to go get his car washed. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, nah, you you got to go. You got to go. He he hit Harbaugh with one of those excuses you give to somebody that keep talking and you trying to get off the phone and they keep changing the subject and you just willing to make up anything to get off the phone. That's what he hit him with, and he literally said anything. I mean, like. That's that's like coming to work late saying you got stuck in traffic, but you got a latte from Starbucks in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> he could have literally made up anything, right? In, anything wow. in, in under the sun that would have been halfway legitimate. Oh, something happened with my kids. Something happened with my wife. Somebody, now I get my car wash. Right. I mean, come on. That's when right. you know you you just straight degassed. You just right. don't care. You just I don't care. Yeah. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it's, what I say, and he just gonna deal with it. And you know you, he, you can go to the video you can and go to Urban Dictionary and want coverages. to. <laughs> I knew you were gonna do it. I knew you were gonna do it. But see, that's a safe way to do. It. That's a safe way to do. It. We can keep our rating. People can go check that on their own, and you know they'll see what they see. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, Karen. My bad. My bad. No, but I mean, you know, we we saw uh, Chuck Clark get upset with that blown coverage, but I mean. This is stuff we already should have known. You know, in that Airbnb that night, he blew the coverage, <laughs> all coverage. <laughs> was it the purple light? What color yeah. light was they looking for? Purple. <laughs> mm. So so we were aware that this was in the range of possibilities. <laughs> there there wasn't I mean when 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 you saw how that situation went down, there wasn't no range. 
It was limitless range. Oh, anything yeah. Yeah. anything oh, yeah. was possible <laughs> with this dude. Clearly, Chris, let me let me get, get your <laughs> on this. We we we've taken it to well, we didn't take it anywhere. This was Earl. Earl took yeah, it. Yeah, this yeah. is all Earl. Don't yeah, so it you, on yeah. Go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, like like we were saying, we we saw the fight happen, and and we were all in in uh, communication with each other, and we was like, oh, well, let's you know hope cooler heads prevail, and you know this is much ado about nothing. It's just a camp fight, and I even went back and I looked up the the fight between uh. Emmanuel Sanders and Cortland Sutton uh, last training camp. And I'm like, oh, look, they're still friends right now. They call each other brothers. So, they, you know, maybe that's what's going on. And boy, was I wrong. Because, <laughs> you know, as as things just kept trickling out, it was just it was just more and more what we really saw. I don't even know if we really saw the real Earl, but we got to know who he's been a little bit more than, than what we thought. Um, like Denar alluded to, you know, there's times on the field where, you know, maybe you think Wink is putting him in the spot. But then, you know, you, you look back at it and you're like, is this dude just is he just freestyling out there? Like, is he just doing his own thing? Like, who like who knows with the way he's been acting and how erratic he is, both in his personal life and, you know, on the football field now, too. And, you know, you it's unfortunate that it happened. Because, you know, he's he's still a, a talented guy. He's he's not the Earl Thomas of the Legion of Boom, but he's still a talented guy. And, you know, for it to end this way, uh, you know, on the cusp of, of you know, hopefully a, a a really dominant season, it's, it's unfortunate because, you know, here's a guy who he's he's, you know, nearing the end of his career. Um, he's not there yet. He still has some good years left in him. But. He's he's nearing the end, and it's like you're on a, a good team, you know. Uh, from most reports, everyone on the team is cool. It's a really good locker room. You're getting top money, and it's like you're just screwing this up and throwing it away. And it, it just it makes you sh- shake your head, and you're like, damn man, what like what are you thinking? So I I, I don't know, man. I was just I was amazed by the by the whole thing and just how it unfolded. And you know what it made me think of? And I'm thinking to myself, look, people change, right? Things can happen outside uh, of your job, right? Football is these guys' jobs. We we all have jobs, different jobs. And things can happen outside of your job that cause you to change and act differently on the job. But it made me think about Antonio Brown. And I started thinking, well, man, what kind of what kind what what kind of coaching job was Tomlin having to do if A B was acting like he acts now back then? Even though you go back and you read some stuff or even you listen to people now and they say, nah, A.B. really wasn't like that back then. But then I think about Earl and Pete Carroll and think, man, what if Earl was like that back then? And we we we've heard me, me you know, you, uh, Chris and Carrie, we talked about a story that we saw where somebody said that was Cam Chancellor. Cam Chancellor had that thing on lock. He kept Earl in check and kept that locker room in check. Um, but it just makes me I'll, think. About, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go, ahead, go ahead and finish. Now, I'm just going to say, it just makes me think about what coaches have to do in terms of managing certain personalities that we never really get the full story on, right? <laughs> right. Well, you make a very good point, though, about the Cam Cancellor thing, because I was having a conversation with a friend a couple days ago about the, about that same thing. And, we be, and I told him, and I was like, 
You know when things changed in Seattle? When Cam Chancellor got hurt. Mm-hmm. Pete Carroll saw an opportunity. He got rid of Sherman, got hurt, but he was getting rid of Sherman. And they were never going to pay Earl Thomas the second time. <laughs> so when Cam got hurt, they were like, okay, we, we, can, we can do this and people won't look at us like we're crazy. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, some, and, and Earl helped him with getting a broken leg. So they're like, okay, cool. And yeah. That was the, the infamous middle finger. Yeah, I was going to say that that, mm. that should have been a clue right there. <laughs> that, that maybe this was a different Serious kind of, clue. A, a, different <laughs> kind of, yeah, a different kind of cat uh, that, that we were getting here. But you know what? It's happened. They've made the move. Uh, anytime any reporter has asked them about it, they've all said, we're not looking in the rear view. We're moving forward. They won't even talk about it beyond that. So it is what it is. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see where Earl lands. And, um, you know, uh, again, I, I don't, I don't wish anybody anything, you know, bad, you know, I hope whatever's going on, um, you know, gets worked out and he's able to keep playing ball. But sometimes when you lose a player like that, it creates an opportunity. Yeah, so Deshaun Elliott, right? We talked about Earl leaving, but let's talk about Deshaun Elliott. So real quick on Deshaun, I want to touch on this. I don't think people understand how much more flexible this allows the defense to be. I know people have been clamoring, well, haven't we seen more cover one? We see a lot more cover two, a lot more matchup zone that we talk about a lot, but you could possibly see instead of the Ravens being third and four and we're coming, we can sit in a four man rush, go man across the board with a man free. It changes everything. And his range and his ability to tackle in space, I can't say that loud and clear. He can tackle in space, so therefore, as a defensive coordinator, you're not worried. I can call anything, and he will erase it. That's big. I mean, that's that's exactly what you want, right, from, from that middle-of-the-field player. You want to be... You want to have the confidence that I can call, I can make the call I want to make, and I don't have to worry. Like we talked about earlier, I don't have to feel like I'm covering for somebody. Mm-hmm. Sure. I and just... I, and ahead, I, don't think, I think the the faith that, that his teammates have in him, too, because they've been practicing with this dude for three years now. So they've seen what he could, they've seen more than what we've seen, obviously. And, you know, it's just, the only thing with him has been health. So this is a guy that they believe in, that they, you know, they have faith in who who can play it. And, and you know, for the few glimpses that we've had, he, he's balled out. I mean, he hasn't had many reps, but in the limited time that he does, you just put on the tape and you, you see a playmaker there. And you see a guy like Lenar said, he can do everything on the field. He could play single high. He could come up with run support. He could play man to man. It's the question with him is just health, and but if he can stay healthy, man, I, I think 
I think that they could have another gem like they did with uh, with Chuck Clark because this time last year, if somebody said, oh, yeah, Chuck Clark, he's he's one of the leaders on the defense, people would have looked at you like you were crazy if you said that this time last year. And, you know, maybe they find themselves another diamond in the rough with, with Elliott. I I, th- I look at him as more uh, 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 a more rangy Dewan Landry. Mm-hmm. Okay, Dewan would come up and hit some people. <laughs> he would yeah. come up, but he surprised you in coverage. Yeah. Right. Yep. And he earned his money. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. Carrie, uh, let's get you in on this Deshaun Elliott uh, conversation. What do you think? Yeah, I'm going to throw another hat in the race and kind of muddy these waters a bit. <laughs> I want to question for not to forget about Geno Stone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Gino is an extremely instinctive player. He's a player that looks to make plays on the ball, but also has that physicality where he can get down in the in the box and he can come in and mix it up. Don't let that four seven uh, forty um, that he ran fool you. He's got plenty of football speed. When the ball is in the air, he can go make a play on the ball. And as a matter of fact, he probably sees the ball before a lot of other people see it, which allows him to play even faster. So I just want to put that bug in people's ear. So later in the year, when we're in these sub packages and you see this guy out here making plays that you don't forget that, uh, carry at the that I mean Stone is a baller. Well, look, why we why we planting flags and playing seeds? Uh, I'm gonna throw Nigel Warrior in there too. Yes, <laughs> the former five star guy. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's not forget about him and you know a guy playing in the SEC. Uh, you know against best of the best, right? We know it's the best conference in college football. Uh, so, you know, he's another guy, but yeah, they, those, those guys are definitely in that fight, um, for kind of, you know, those, those back end of the roster DB spots. And we know that the Ravens love that spot, right? At the end of drafts, UDFAs, that dime linebacker slash, you know, safety hybrid kind of player. They love taking those guys. And one thing I will say about Deshaun Elliott, though, I did want to say one little thing about him and Denard can speak to this better than me because he's coached. So I'm just going on what I see and, and what I'm interpreting on film. And again, this will confirm that, yeah, I'm a football nerd because I watch special teams. But when you when you watch him play special teams, and this is a little glimpse of another project I'm working on for this season where I'm actually going to chart special teams. Nobody will give a damn, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, when you chart alignments on special teams and you look at how often they move him around, he plays a lot of different <laughs> positions on special teams right some guys will just line up in the same spot on every special team gym right every coverage unit they don't move i don't know if moving a guy around that much means this but to me i'm thinking well if i'm gonna move that guy around his assignment is gonna change right in each one of those spots so this guy's got to be able to handle that mentally so if i'm doing that with a guy i gotta trust him right to be able to handle those different assignments uh as opposed to just leaving him in that one alignment like I do with some of these other guys. So, Denard, you would know better than me. I don't know if that says anything. Maybe it don't say nothing. But to me, it's an indication of something. 
<laughs> right. So I'll I'll get back to that for a second. I want to chime in on the on the Geno Stone thing. What we also know now about Iowa football is that they didn't promote their black players very well mm-hmm. and didn't take it and didn't like it. We we know that now. Yeah, that's been out there. Yeah. So the fact that Geno Stone fell in the draft maybe to the fact that his coaching staff didn't like him and portrayed him differently to people in the league. Mm. That's real talk. So, right so let's, 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 I, I want to keep that a little real. I, I feel like that has a lot to do with that on that. But to your point on Deshaun Elliott moving around, yes, that is true that you have a guy who's smart enough to do all those different assignments on special teams. But that also says that you know that the other team is game planning for him. Mm. So that means he's one of your top two. Mm. And you notice when he went down, the special teams kind of went, oh. Yeah. It was was ugly. It was ugly. It started as a (laughs) <laughs> so that tells you even more that he is a John Harbaugh guy and even Harbaugh said he talks too much but I'm okay with it because <laughs> <laughs> you back it up man when they when they started the season at Miami and those first couple of games um before Elliot got hurt and then after they had to move you know had to move Justin Bethel they had a damn special teams all-star unit. I'm saying <laughs> Justin Bethel, Anthony Levine, Brendan Trowick, Deshaun Elliott, Chuck Clark. It was a legit special teams all-star. <laughs> and I it was yes. It's special, but yes. <laughs> That's big though on 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 the thing about Geno Stone and the Iowa players in that situation. That's big because we saw how that blew up, like you said, on Twitter and social media. Uh, and that that could be very real that, you know, the reason behind why maybe he slid a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you could you could the, the low hanging fruit would be to point to the testing, right, his athletic testing. But the, the deeper truth might be that because you watch him on film. He doesn't look like a seventh rounder. He looks mm-hmm. like a third rounder. And yep. with his four seven speed, he's probably a, a comp fourth. Because you're willing to take a chance because he's pretty good <laughs> football player. Yeah, and and when I watched him, if you if you they, they play different they play different positions um, obviously, but if you look at the last couple DBs that have come out of Iowa, I think it was was Amani Hooker who went to the Titans last year, mm-hmm. and Stone and Gino talked about that about how they came in together. Well, maybe Hooker was a year before him, uh, but how he talked about. Um, making that decision to leave early. And he talked to Monty Hooker and said, Hey man, what, what's the league like? You know, what, what, what do you think about making this transition? So he talked about that with him. And then, um, who was the other kid who went to the chargers? He was like a, a slot corner. I can't remember his name. Desmond King. Desmond King. Desmond King. Yeah. So it's not like Iowa had been, been putting out some bums at DB the last couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, you can keep that in mind with Geno Stone as well. And he was playing that cash safety position in their defense, which is, again, like I was just saying, how the Ravens like to take that hybrid linebacker safety at the end of the end of the draft. That's mm-hmm. what that cash position is. It's a hybrid linebacker safety, and their defensive coordinator says that guy can do everything. So that that's all in the mix with Gino. 
you can you can see the the moneyball aspect of how the Ravens are drafting now. Well, De, De, yeah, DeCosta made no secret about that, right? He, yeah. he's, talk, he's talked about that, that he is a big believer in that, big believer in analytics and how that factors into the draft, how that factors into, you know, in-game decisions, play-calling decisions. Um, but they're drafting types of guys. Like, they have zeroed in, like, this guy, we play our defense this way. And we're going to select this guy because he fits and can do all that stuff instead of what seemed to be the issue for like the last five or six years. We're drafting talented guys. We'll they'll we'll make them play the Raven way. Yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> like no. <laughs> <laughs> and just with the three guys we we talked about with Elliot, with Gino, with uh, with a Warrior, even though he was a UDFA. All three of those guys have similar playing styles. All three of them are all versatile. They line up all over the place and when they were in college. And it's, like you said, they have a type. They definitely do. You mentioned Chuck Clark, you know, in that group, too. And Chuck, I think, is, is pretty similar in that way, too. So I think, to Denar's point, uh, they know what they're looking for at these positions. And they go out and they get those guys, whether it be through the draft or whether they sign them, you know, after the draft. They go and get these guys and they bring them in. They teach them the defense, put them in those roles. And you see guys that are able to come in and have success, you know, relatively short period of time. Maybe not always in that rookie year, but depending on where they're drafted and the opportunity they get. But, you know, Chuck was what when he became the starter last year? Is that his third year or fourth year? I don't remember where he was. Maybe his fourth. Third Um, year because he got the extension. Okay, yeah. So, you know, a guy like that, like we talked about, you know, Chris said, you know, somebody had asked you going into last season uh, whether he was going to become leader of the defense. Outwardly, you know, most of us, the, the question, that the answer to that would obviously be no. But what we didn't realize was that behind the scenes, this dude was learning the defense like the damn bag of his hand and knew it as well as anybody on the team. Just because he wasn't getting, you know, starter reps, everybody on that team in the secondary to a man said that about him even going back to when Eric Weddle was there and, and Tony Jefferson they said this dude knows the defense better than anybody and uh that 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 bared out on the field when he got on the field last year because we know what happened in those first couple of games uh and then they're they're you know aside from the Miami game obviously that went extremely well uh, but you started to see the first chinks in the defensive armor in the Arizona game even though they pulled out the win and then we know how Kansas City in the first Cleveland game went but then from that point on, uh, after you, you dealt with uh, Peanut and Kenny Young, and, and then you got Chuck in there uh, when, when TJ unfortunately went down. Green um, dot Chuck. They green dot Chuck. They turned the corner, and, you know, it was it was a more consistent defense from that point on. And and now, you know, you, you've added more pieces, particularly up front. But don't sleep on my boy PQ, uh, Patrick Queen. Uh, Malik Harrison. I mean, you know, you, you, you got you got pieces. Justin Mata BK. You got pieces all over the place. So, uh, I think as much as we talk about the offense, and it's it's a hundred percent deserved because Lamar is something we've never seen before. Uh, and you know, you get a healthy Hollywood and all these other things on offense. Defense has a chance to be special. I think this this team, even without Earl, 
maybe because of, of not having <laughs> 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 it has a chance to, to be something special. They were damn good last year, uh, you know, down the stretch. And I think they got a chance to be even more special than that this year. So, And we saw a report today, Lincoln, Jadavon Clowney, Jadavion Clowney, excuse me, to the Ravens. Uh, we've we've seen that link before. It's not the first time. Uh, probably ever since Clowney's been a free agent, we've seen that link. But, you know, it was, um, I think Tony Pauline was a guy who they cited in the story saying that, you know, the Ravens might be the leader in the clubhouse, right? He also mentioned the Steelers. Uh, the Steelers got, got serious cap issues. Uh, but anyway, I'll come back to you, Denard, starting on, on Clowney. Um, set the contract stuff aside for a minute because we know that that can – you know, shape everything on, on whether anything like this even happens or not. But just from a football perspective, how would you feel about Clowney on the Ravens? I think it'd be the move that allows them to be freer up front. Cause you kind of still have a little bit of the liability away from Matt Judon. Not a big liability, but if a team decides, like San Francisco, to go opposite of Matt Judon mm-hmm. and run the edges, you still kind of have that problem. Yeah. So he solves not only an anchor point against the run, but he brings back the Terrell Suggs slicer, where Suggs sees something, yep. Clowney sees something, you trust him enough to say, make a call to your linebacker, say, I'm gone, or whatever that call is. And that linebacker knows I got to wait. And now you have those big plays that turn into fumbles, that turn into touchdowns. So the Ravens have, you can kind of see they're playing money ball on defense. We want to cause as much havoc and much destruction at the line of scrimmage as humanly possible to allow Marcus Peters to pick off everything that comes his way. (laughs) (laughs) Allow that man to jump everything. Nobody does it better. (laughs) And the Ravens kind of see this as they own the ball for over 30 minutes a game last season. And they feel like they're going to do that, if not better. So you need to force teams, once you have them down 7 nothing, 10 nothing, to know that they're only going to have four or five possessions. So they're going to be trying to squeeze as much as they can out of four or five possessions. If you have a player like, Javadin, uh, like Clowney who can make instant impacts, that takes drives away. That makes your life easier on offense. And it really makes your job a lot easier on defense. Because now instead of you in 10-7 games, you're in 24-7 to games. And you can turn loose. So I, I'm, I'm on board with it if they can make the money work. I'm not paying him crazy money to come in and be a seven-sack guy. Yeah, and that's 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 a that's a big point with Helm. Uh, and I'll come to you next, Carrie, on this. And we and we can talk about the money. I should have said because I mean, look, that obviously that that everything hinges on that. So, um, but that that's a that's a, a big thing with Helm is he's he's never been 
a big sack number guy, um, but he's super disruptive and he's very good in the run game. Uh, so, Kerry, what do you think? Uh, from you can you can talk about it from a contractual standpoint, football standpoint, whatever. What do you think about Clowney? Yeah, I thought. Um, I mean, it would be a, a no-brainer, you know, if they can sign him for, you know, a, a, a team-friendly kind of deal. Um, I wouldn't imagine that number is crazy high at this point. I think if it was, you know, it would he would be signed already. Um, I think this represents an opportunity for him uh, to win uh, and to showcase his skills at a high level uh, with the idea of getting back on the open market next year. Um, so, you know, when I look at his game and I think about one of the two major questions this team has is, what is what does their non-scheme pass rush look like? You know, in situations where you just have to send four and somebody's got to get home, what does that look like? So, you know, that kind of has some questions at this point, even though I think it's better than what people are making it out to be. There's still question marks there. I think he cleaned some of that up. Um, I think Denard made a, a, a great point as far as him in the run game. You know, he may not have lived up to his kind of unreasonable hype as a pass rusher, um, but he's still very good in the area. But when you watch him against in the run game, man, this guy is a wrecking ball in the run game. Outside runs, inside. I mean, it doesn't matter. This guy is like blowing plays up. So um, he he allows them to maybe bring some of uh, Jalen Ferguson and, you know, some of those guys along a little bit more slowly. So they're not, you know, forced in the fire. It also allows them to preserve a guy like Pernell McPhee. Um, mm-hmm. And then another angle I'm looking at with him is uh, with Derek Wolf. You know, I made the comp with Derek Wolf. I gave him that Draymond Green comp. You know, I saw I see him as that point forward kind of guy that's facilitating pressure um, with the stunt game. And he's freeing up edge, de- edge defenders to make plays. You know, when we... Um, when the three of us sat and we watched Derek Wolf, we saw him freeing up Von Miller countless times to make plays on the quarterback. Now imagine him freeing up a, a guy that can run in a straight line like uh, Jadavion Clowney. Um, you know, imagine the kind of damage you know he can do with a guy like Wolf. You know, giving him uh, you know lanes to the quarterback. So, you know, it's going to all come back to, you know, money and what's the opportunity cost. But I feel really good about this. I, I feel like they can they can find a number that makes sense uh, for both sides and, you know, get him in the fold this year, kind of solidify some things and then, you know, see what happens next year, whether it's, you know, letting him walk for a comp pick. You know, it, it's kind of a, you know, win win kind of move for them. Yeah, it really is. And you you hit on a really good point about not only what Clowney does himself uh, for the defense, <clears throat> but what he does in terms of balancing out that outside linebacker position opposite uh, Matt Judon. Denard Laird with that. I mean, we know who Pernell McPhee is, right? Even, even you know, kind of getting up there a little bit. We know what he is and what he brings to the game. But we talked about this last year. 
if he had to play more than 15, 20 snaps a game, there was going to be problems. And there were problems. Uh, you know, he's just not at a point in his career where I think, you know, he can he can play, you know, a full snap load and get through 16 games. I mean, I think we saw that. Uh, we I think we know who ties Bowser is. I know it's a contract here and we, we've seen countless guys here, countless outside linebackers slash DN types in contract years have their best year here. You can go Paul Kruger. You know, you, you can go down the list of guys and go on and get contracts in, in other places. Not saying it couldn't happen for Tyus. It might. Um, but I think, you know, you're going into your fourth year. I, I think we, we've kind of seen who you are. And, you know, Jalen Ferguson is still a little bit of an unknown. You know, only going into a second year, um, you still got a little bit of, of you know, development, obviously, to, to, to happen there. So, Chris, let me get your thoughts on Clowney. Um, I want to I want to throw this in because we talked about it in our chat and I want to own it. I don't want to shy away from it. Um, you know, there have been these reports going back to when he was in college questioning his work ethic, right? People said it around the draft. <clears throat> Coach Spurrier said, you know, he didn't have the best work, work ethic on the team. He said it wasn't the worst, but he said he didn't have the best. Um, You've heard those questions around Houston and, and, and Seattle, too. Hey, look, a lot of times when these things are coming from anonymous sources, I take them with a grain of salt, right? Because if somebody's not going to put their name on it, who knows, right? And then when you turn on the film, you don't really see that. You, you see a guy who plays hard. You don't see a guy who, who's, who's taking a bunch of plays off or, or you know, kind of kind of half-stepping out there. So, But I talked about it. I know I, I've said I'm a little bit spooked because of everything that happened in the world. <laughs> so I, I, I'm shook when it comes to, you know, these off-field reports that you hear now. But, but what do you think, Chris, about that? Um, I think, you know, on the field, you know, I echo everything Denard and Kerry said. And um, but to what you just said about, you know, the off-the-field stuff, uh, that's something that, you know, obviously now with the whole Earl Thomas situation that the Ravens would definitely have to do their homework on. And I, I think, you know, if you read uh, Jeff Zerebeck's uh, piece that he put up on The Athletic a few days ago where he says that the, the Ravens kind of, like, they, they kind of jumped the gun with the Earl Thomas signing because they they lost some key guys. They lost Eric Weddle that year. They lost... Terrell Suggs that year they lost CJ Mosley so they were kind of stuck with you know all this money and and kind of felt like they had to do something because the Browns just got OBJ so they kind of just jumped the gun and instead of doing their due diligence with uh, Earl Thomas so I think you know that you know ED um Eric DaCosta I don't think he would make that same mistake twice so I think he would definitely dot his eyes and cross his T's before he brings in, you know, another, you know, high profile guy like like a Jadavion Clowney. So if he gives his blessing to it, then, you know, obviously, you know, you hope everything goes well. But like these guys said on the field, he he just he fits in in so many different ways. Like he's just, you know, uh, I think the word of this podcast since we started, it has been multiple because that's the best way to describe this Ravens team on both sides of the ball. Uh, and on defense, you know, you see him line up everywhere. You see him lining up on the edge. You see him lining up over the nose. You see him line up at damn linebacker. Uh, he, he lines up everywhere. So if you give Wink a toy like this to add on with Calais, with Wolf, with Judon, and then, you know, the, I mean, I know they're just camp reports, but they say that Tyus Bowers has been 
putting in a lot of work and doing his thing at, at, at camp this year, too. So hopefully he took another step. I mean, adding a guy like Jadavion, I mean, it's, the sky's the limit for this defense if they do that. Yeah, uh, he, he's just a disruptive force that um, as good as Wink is as a defensive coordinator, he, he hasn't had that guy uh, up front. Um, I mean, Suggs, obviously we know what Suggs is, but, you know, at the, at the end of his career, as good as he still was, and he was damn good, even still at the end of his career, just because of his, his knowledge, right, his experience and how many things he just could, could recognize and know and, and, and know. You know what was coming. Uh, this this is a different level athletically um, with with Clowney uh, at this point. You know it's it's kind of almost unfair to compare them. They were different points in their careers. This is the end of a two part conversation we had with Denard. In part two, we talked with Denard about the Raven statement on racial injustice, Jacob Blake, and the NBA and WNBA player protests. That's why some folks face down in the mainstream. That's why so many fine folks face down in the mainstream. That's why so many fine folks face down in the mainstream.